Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome. Um, it's nice to see so many of you, despite the incredible heat outside. Um, my name is Maren, and I'm with the Nigeria group within the Norwegian Council for Africa. Um, yes, I just want to introduce uh, Jonas Holmqvist, who is the director of the Association of Water Studies, um, and he will take you through this evening. Thank you. My name is Jonas Holmquist, as mentioned. I work. We usually say FIVAS. That's a bit shorter. Um, it's an honor to be here to share this uh, seminar on the Niger Delta. Uh, I guess there's people here in the audience also that knows far more about the Niger Delta than I do. Uh, but I know we have very interesting people to come here and, and talk to us. And there are some interesting different angles we'll uh, look into. First, we will start with a greeting from Nimo Bassi on video here. And after that, we will have uh, Karine Smith from NBIM. I bring you greetings from Nigeria and wish you very happy deliberations as we discuss a very ugly issue, the issue of pollution in Nigeria. Now, the pollution in Nigeria has, has accumulated over a period of more than six decades now. And both the government and international oil companies have worked together in a very incestuous relationship. Now it's time for accountability, communities, civil society, and everyone is working to ensure that both governments and the oil corporations, including Shell, pay for the damage they've done to our environment and ensure that adequate cleanup is carried out so that life may return to normal within Niger Delta. Uh, next up, we have uh, Karim Smith from NBIM. Uh, NBIM, or which is the organ which is administering the Norwegian Oil Fund, or the government pension fund global, as they are formally called, uh, are invested in Shell. Uh, and as you know, Shell is a, a major player here in the Niger Delta. Uh, since 2013, uh, NBIM have been tasked with having a dialogue with Shell on their work in the Niger Delta. I guess we will hear some more of that, and I will also, in Karim inform you, they will also talk a bit more about how they are doing dialogue or, or their ownership work uh, towards companies. So, please. Thank you very much. Okay, well, thank you very much, and thanks for inviting uh, the fund. Um, this is a slightly different forum than what we usually attend, but uh, even more exciting to be here. Um, so I'll give a brief introduction uh, of the fund, where and how we're invested, talk something uh, about how we work on responsible investment, which is my uh, area of responsibility in the fund, and then finally, in some more general terms on how we work uh, on with ownership uh, towards Shell, given the special mandate we've been given by the ministry to work on that issue. But um, I thought since this is all about Nigeria, maybe I should establish my Nigerian credentials. Some of you may have picked up that uh, my name is actually actually Karine Smith-Ihenacho. Um, we have a Nigerian here. I don't know, you may, may notice that it's a Nigerian surname. 
So I'm actually married to a Nigerian, and I've been many times to Nigeria. I may not know the Nigeria Delta so well, but I know Nigeria quite well, travel there a lot, and uh, my kids are even Nigerian citizens, so a uh, close connection to the country. Okay, um, so just to uh, introduce a bit to the fun, I I'm sure you all know uh, much about it, but just to start by saying, you know, we NBIM, we are the managers of the fund, the owners of the funds are the Norwegian people. And our job is to create a high long-term returns for the fund, and that's for the future generations of Norwegians. But what we say is that we, we will manage the fund responsibly and transparently. So that's uh, important parameters for how we manage the fund. Um, you may know that we now are a trillion-dollar fund, so we're large. Uh, another key characteristic of the fund is that we are global. Um, we have invested in more than 9,000 companies, and these companies are spread around the world. So you say we have invested in Shell. I mean, Shell is then one of the 9,000-plus companies we have invested in. So in a way, we say we have invested in a small part of the world's economy. Um, as you see here, here you see a bit of how the ownership is spread. We actually own 1.4% of all listed companies in the world, slightly more concentrated in Europe, where we own 2.4% of all listed companies. And we spread around 72 countries. Okay, I, I, I said that uh, responsible investment is one of the main characteristics of how we work. Um, and it's uh, my area of responsibility. So uh, I thought I'd spend a little bit of time explaining how we work with responsible investment. Um, and we tend to say that the work on responsible investment is organized along three pillars. And you see these three pillars here uh, on this slide. It's uh, one called setting standards, another one called exercising ownership, which is what I'll talk more about in a second, and the third one, investing sustainably. Uh, but just to talk a bit about all three of them. Um, when you talk about setting standards, it's basically about in trying to influence um, the pri sort of, uh, principles and standards for how we can invest and supporting well-functioning markets and sustainable business practices. I mean, an example is that we engage extensively in consultation with regulators across the, across the world and it can be regulators with new legislation, or it can be changes in stock exchange uh, requirements, or it can be more soft law regulatory frameworks, such as OECD guidelines for multi multinational enterprises. So, so we are an active uh, engager in the development of such standards. In addition, we develop our own expectation documents, and I know uh, you guys have been involved in the development of, of many of these. 
So we have six expectation documents that covers areas we believe are important when it comes to responsible investment and responsible business practices. Um, so we have um, expectation documents when it comes to water management, uh, climate risk, children's rights, human rights, tax and transparency, and now recently anti-corruption. And I think, uh, yeah, you, you were much involved with that. These, these um, expectation documents, they are developed in close cooperation with stakeholders, NGOs, experts, and, and uh, we do several rounds and, of consultations, and I believe that uh, results in better documents. Um, so the uh, second pillar is exercising ownership. Um, the two main areas for exercising our ownership uh, so that's our sort of, we say it's uh, as an owner, you have rights and responsibilities, and that's engaging in voting and company dialogue. Um, and voting is an important part in how we exercise our ownership, and we're actually in the middle of voting season these days, so every day we vote on a series of shareholders meeting, and just uh, to, to let you know, last year we voted on 113,000 resolutions. So it's no small job, really, to engage with voting. Uh, and many of the resolutions cover exactly responsible business practices, uh, a lot of those uh, through shareholders' resolutions. Um, finally, the third pillar is what we call investing sustainably. That means we invest in more in companies that um, have and uh, we have an environmental mandate and so invest more in what we call environmentally friendly companies and then it's certain companies we don't invest in so we do divestments uh, either based on um, a view on, of the financial long-term viability or sustainability of the company's business but we finally also have the ethical exclusions um, so, talking a bit about uh, the second pillar, what we call exercising ownership. This is a bit, maybe a complex uh, slide, lots of words here. Um, but what it's meant to show um, is the part of exercising ownerships, ownership that stems from the decisions on the ethical, based on uh, the guidelines for ethical uh, exclusions and observations. I don't know how well you know the system. It's quite a complex system, so I'll try, but I'll try to explain it briefly. Um, we have an uh, independent body called the Council of Ethics. Their job is to recommend companies for either observation or exclusions based upon the guidelines for observation or exclusions decided by the ministry. And the purpose of these guidelines is to set out certain conduct and certain uh, products that the fund for ethical reasons should not be invested in. You know, we have to sort of bear in mind we invest in the whole universe, but then we take out some companies based on ethical considerations. And that is really managed or monitored by the Council of Ethics, who then uh, give recommendations for exclusions or observations for decisions. 
The body that makes the decisions used to be the Ministry of Finance. It is now the executive board or the bank that makes the final decision. Um, so the Council of Ethics recommends, the executive board decides. But what's, um, and, and the recommendation is of course then based on these criteria, either conduct or product criteria. Um, what is important to remember is that the decision-making body, which is now the executive board, that used to be the ministry, they have a third tool sort of available when they decide what to do with a company that's subject to ethical considerations. Rather than deciding on observations or exclusions, they can decide, you know, we here want to actively engage with the company, so we decide we're rather going to do um, company engagement, active ownership. Um, so even though that cannot be recommended by the Council of Ethics, the executive board or previously the Minister of Finance can decide, you know, it's actually better to engage rather to sit on the side or and observe or, or exclude the company. And that was um, the results of what happened in the Shell case. The Council of Ethics recommended that Shell should be put in observations for its uh, conduct in, in Niger Delta, as you know, for the environmental uh, damage caused by oil, oil spills. Um, the Ministry of Finance, this was in 2013, so it was the Ministry of Finance that made the final decision. They decided rather than just sort of observe it on a bit of a distance, let's see if we can uh, influence more by active ownership. So that was the decision. Uh, the mandate to do active ownership was then given to the fund. It is now the responsibility of uh, my team uh, to do that ownership work towards uh, Shell. Maybe it was a bit complicated, but it's, uh, yeah, uh, try to <laughs> briefly explain quite a complicated uh, setup. But anyway, so the um, conclusion was that we, we should do active ownership work towards Shell in connection with Niger Delta oil spills. So, so very specific. Okay. Um, let's see. So here you have a sort of an overview of um, the process, goals, timeline. Um, so the, the process I explained, decision by the ministry in 2013, the goals is sort of twofold, reduction in the number and the volume of oil spills, but also uh, effective rem remediation of oil spill that has, has been done. That's sort of the goal of our engagement with Shell on this. Um, we were given a timeline of five to 10 years. Uh, so within that, we had the discretion to decide how long we think it's right to, or how long we need, or how long we think it's appropriate to, to do this engagement. Uh, it was started in 2013, so it's now five years have gone by. So we can continue an additional five years. We have not decided uh, yet how long we need to continue or want to continue with the engagement. But we have another five years if we think that is appropriate. 
Um, so, a little bit about uh, the content or, or how we, we, we do this ownership work. As I said to some of you before I started uh, the presentation this evening, is that we don't, in general, uh, talk too specifically about uh, single companies, and in particular not uh, discussions we may have with them, and the discussion may also partly be confidential. But what I can say is that we've had quite an extensive dialogue with Shell on this particular matter. As you see here, we have had, uh, in these five years, we have had 37 meetings. Meetings have been with Shell uh, at various levels in Shell. It has been with uh, Shell's um, employees both in Nigeria and at headquarters. Um, let's see more I can say. Uh, the Topics around the, these discussions have been what Shell is doing to address the issue of oil spills, how they are going about reducing it and remedial actions. Um, and um, uh, what I also can say is that we, we do report on this work in general terms once a year. Uh, once a year we give out a report on responsible investments and here you, we, we usually put uh, one or two paragraphs where we sum up uh, the work we have done or in this specific instance we have been given a mandate to do ownership work. It's not just Shell, uh, we have the same engagement with ENI when it comes to Niger Delta and we also have other engagement for instance uh, when it comes to anti anti-corruption, uh, SIPEM and ENI be, being an, uh, other examples. Um, but I think what um, we have said in the Responsible Investment Report for 2017, it came out now in February, is um, that we are encouraged by the improvements reported by uh, Royal Dutch Shell, but oil spills are still occurring in numbers and volumes that are not acceptable, so, so more work needs to be done. Um, finally, let me just uh, show you these uh, uh, graphics here. Uh, let me say just immediately, these are numbers we have received from Shell, so it's Shell's numbers. But as you can see, there has been significant drop in the number of uh, oil spills uh, over the last year. So there was a slight uptake um, last year. And, and this is part of the information we get uh, when we engage with them. Then finally, I just want to say, uh, before I stop, that uh, you know, we, we are an owner in Shell but we are small minority owner. We use the tools we have in our ownership engagement but just uh, the actual work needs to be done by Shell. You know, we can use our influence as an owner, but that's uh, with the toolbox we have. But in the end, this is our responsibility of Shell. So uh, I think with that, I'll, I'll uh, leave it here, but I'm happy to take uh, questions. So in... in our engagements with Royal Dutch Shell, in our, so I'm a lawyer who, who's worked on cases against Royal Dutch Shell. 
involving oil spills in Nigeria. They, they say to us and they say to the court in England that Royal Dutch Shell has very little involvement or control over what happens in Nigeria. So they say Nigeria is a wholly autonomous company. Um, uh, Royal Dutch Shell cannot influence what it does really and it, it, it's left to its own devices. Whereas I know Royal Dutch Shell's message to its shareholders tends to be very different, um, which is that actually it can influence what happens in Nigeria. Um, and the court in England uh, agreed with Shell and found that um, uh, Royal Dutch Shell has no active involvement in what happens in Nigeria. And I guess I would just flag that as a concern maybe for you as a shareholder, that a very different message is being communicated to you as a shareholder than, than the message that's been given, for example, to the English court about what Royal Dutch Shell does and can do um, in relation to oil spills in Nigeria. So that would be my concern. My, my question, which you've, I, I think maybe you've answered on the screen here, but my question was just going to be, what significant improvements have you seen um, in, in Shell's operations in Nigeria over the, the period of your engagement? And I think maybe you can just point at the screen and say, there we are. But yeah, <laughs> there we are. I think I'll, I'll uh, leave it like that. Uh, and uh, thanks for your observations. Just to say, when we engage with Shell, we in particular uh, make sure we also deal with the Nigerian subsidiary. It's not just visit to the headquarter. Uh, we have uh, engagement with uh, the local Nigerian management, including the CEO. Um, just follow on from what Matt said. I am a little bit concerned um, that it appears as if your statistics are just coming from one angle, which is Shell. Are you involved uh, with other like NGOs on the ground in the Niger Delta who are also um, part of the campaign to make sure that Shell does the right thing? Or you only take statistics from what Shell give to you? Because from all indications, looking at these figures, um, they are not even near to half of what we have observed. But um, that, that, is, that is our own observation. You know, they, they might be painting an entirely different uh, picture. Um, another issue that um, I am concerned about is the, the way um, you people are prepared to give an endless time to share. Because a period of five years that they have not conformed to things that are happening on a daily basis in terms of oil spills, and no cleanup effectively has happened. And people are dying every day as a result of these oil spills. And, but you people are prepared to give them more time the more time you will give, that is how people are dying. I think this number of years need to be reviewed. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so thank you for your question. I'm not sure I can answer them too specifically. Uh, but of course, as I said, we know these figures come from Shell. So you're not trying to say these are absolutely right or, or, or not. You're just saying this, this is figure go for Shell. Having said that, we are always keen to get information. 
So not to, uh, don't want to go into details uh, how we go get information, but we are an open fund. So if anybody thinks they have interesting information that's re of relevance, we are happy to receive that. Um, so, so that's my comment when it comes to it comes to these figures. Uh, and and I mean we 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 are not naive. Uh, I just want to sort of put out there um, the the information we have received from the company. But as I say, always open for the information. Um, when it comes to the you know the the time you mentioned the time um, uh, for active ownership work. I mean, our starting point is that we, in general, think it's better to be owners than just to exit companies that are not perfect. We think we can use our influence as owners to maybe improve companies in certain areas. I mean, we, again, we're not saying all the companies do exactly what we tell them all the time, but we believe we may have some influence if we work with a company over time. And we think if, you know, if we, if we stop now, what will the turn to be? Then we have no influence. Or if we exit it, you know, we have no influence. I'm just saying that sometimes it, it may be worthwhile to use the time we have been given uh, and influence in the ways we can. On, on the topic, um, because yeah, you also mentioned Lazarus, the uh, timeline. Is there, and you have now, 25 years out of a possible 10 years. Is there any um, mechanic making you to bring you feedback to the ethical council? Uh, after 10 years, will you send the case back to the ethical council saying, this is how far we got, how are you reviewing this? Uh, or is it now totally up to you? And if anything new should be done, they have to take up the case again without any prompts from you. Um, as I said, first of all, it's not yet decided, uh, you know, if we will uh, do this for another uh, 10 years, we'll be given five to 10 years, so we'll assess. And at the end of the assessment, yes, we will then have a dialogue uh, report back to the Council of Ethics. That was kind of my question, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, 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 it was also technical trying to understand the difference between observation and the conditions on feedback and decision making and coming to a point. Because you say that even now with this active engagement, you have five to ten years. So so then what? And 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 you say there are a long way to go to what? And yeah. So I guess I don't know if you have any further comments to it. But I also have a very technical question on, on your statistics, because this is shell statistics of all spills in the Niger Delta or shell-related spills? Um, I, I'm, yes, I, I strongly believe this is shell-related, yes. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, my name is Musa Simba. Uh, I just want to add a little bit uh, on the gentleman's uh, question which he asked. Uh, I think you the answer him, you know. Uh, based on the spill, as what he says, people are dying. And, you know, it is over five years now. And, you know, nothing has happened. 
you know, we cannot just sit and say that, you know, we have to wait for consensus after consensus. You know, uh, for me as an African, you know, a Pan-Africanist as well, you know, I don't have hope uh, in multinational, you know, corporations, you know, operating, you know, in Africa. Anyway, because none of it are doing something good over there, whether we like it or not. You know, where are we since after pre-independent states? What development have we done in the continent? What did we achieve from their operations in the continent? Apart from at least you know, losing lives, you know, losing our countries, losing our people, and nothing is happening. You know, uh, not only at least in ourselves, but you know, you know, no way our taxpayers' money is even invested. You know, in Heineken as well, over five billion. You know. What supreme hold into, you know, all what we see anyway, you know, all these, you know, companies are in the continent, you know, in order to exploit the people, you know, who cares about at least another people, you know, who are dying on daily basis. I want at least no a possible answer to this question. Thank you very much. Yes, I think I'll take that as a rhetoric question because uh, I, I can't uh, answer in a few minutes, you know, how we can solve all the issues you refer to as, as an investor. Just following up on the, on the question there, I, uh, my question would be, what is sort of the end point? If there is a long way to go, what is an acceptable level of pollution or oil spills? Is, have, have you kind of set a a goal that needs to be met, or is it kind of see how it progresses and keep seeing improvement and that's sufficient? Yeah, I, th I mean, I'm sorry, but I think that's going too much into the dialogue we have in Shell, and uh, so that I would need to, I can't answer here now. I think we'll have one more question. I can be really quick, maybe he can say. Um, my name is Gauta, I'm from uh, Naturungdom, and um, my question is, what would it take to get Shell excluded and why is the information you have not enough? Because for me it seems pretty evident that our uh, $19 billion that we have in the oil fund, in the oil companies, are contributing to huge environmental damage and the loss of lives in the Niger Delta. So what more does it, what does it take to get a company excluded? We the, the as I tried to explain is that uh, exclusion decisions are outside uh, the realm of what, what we do. You know, that's the Council of Ethics that recommends based on their uh, engagement or their investigation of what's going on. Uh, and then this decision was made by the Ministry of Finance. So it's outside the scope of what the fund is responsible for. So I can only say, can only say that uh, that is something that's up to the Council of Ethics and uh, decision-making body that decides on exclusions or observations. Then we'll give the floor to Matthew Renshaw, who is a lawyer, who's litigated the case against Shell, is that right? Yes. On behalf of people in the Niger Delta as well. Um, so can I just start by saying thank you to the, to the representative from the Norwegian Pension Fund, because I think it, it, to have a genuinely responsible investor, which I think the Norwegian Pension Fund is, does make a real difference. So I know you've got some tough questions, but I think it's, um, it's really admirable you're here and that you're genuinely engaging with Shell and, and trying to uh, improve things. So 
Um, thank you very much. Um, well. um, so as, as Jonas said, I, I'm from Lee Day, which is a, a UK-based law firm. Um, our work involves bringing claims against Briti British multinationals for wrongs that have taken place abroad, so in other countries. Um, and the claims, uh, we bring these claims, we bring them, bring them directly against the British domiciles, the British-based uh, head company, and we argue that that company is itself legally responsible for the wrongs that are happening in, uh, in other countries. Um, we focus on claims of environmental damage or human rights abuses. And we generally try to bring claims for individuals or communities who wouldn't otherwise be able to go to court, wouldn't otherwise have any representation, would have no, no chance of accessing justice. So very broadly, that's what, that's what we do, it's what I do. Um, I joined the International Department at Lida in 2012. And as soon as I joined, I started working on a claim uh, on behalf of the Bodo community in the Niger Delta, which I think Laz is from originally. I might have got that wrong from Laz's reaction, but um, <laughs> you, can, you can correct me later, Laz. Um, of about 40,000 people, uh, a claim brought against Shell for oil pollution uh, in that community. There were two uh, big oil spills in Bodo in late 2008. Shell admitted it was responsible for those. Um, it admitted they were an operational failure uh, so a failure of the pipeline, um, but there were lots of disputes about uh, how big the spill was, the air it had impacted, the effect it had had. Shell essentially argued about everything they possibly could in this case. Um, there are two main aspects to this claim. The first was a claim for compensation, mostly for fishermen um, who can no longer fish in the waters because they are so polluted. Um, the compensation aspect of the claim settled, so it finished in late 2014, early 2015. Um, there was a payment of 55 million pounds in compensation to the community, or actually directly to the individuals within the community who'd been impacted. So directly to the fishermen um, and the people who'd, who'd lost their livelihoods. And if you set that 55 million compensation award, um, my firm Lee Day got involved in 2000, 2011, the spills happened in 2008 and 2009. Before our involvement, Shell had offered the community 4,000 pounds in compensation. That was the most they were prepared to pay, which comes out at about 10 pence a person. Um, and I can't do the, um, uh, I can't do the, uh, the transfer into Nor Norwegian kroner, is it? But, um, but it's not very much money at all. Um, and that, that's the sort of situation that, that many Nigerian communities are faced with, um, trying to deal with Shell in the Niger Delta. So the compensation aspect of the claim has finished. The cleanup aspect of the claim is, is still ongoing um, and, and has only recently started. So the spills took place in 2008. Cleanup started uh, about six months ago, uh, six months to a year ago in this community um, and is, fingers crossed, taking place at the moment. And there are international experts involved in the cleanup. Um, it's the only community in the Niger Delta out of hundreds that are seriously polluted that has this sort of international cleanup operation. So you can see the pressure you can put on Shell through litigating in Europe um, makes a significant difference and actually makes them behave more responsibly in, in Nigeria, or, or so we would like to think. Um, 
in addition to that Bodo claim, I'm involved in two other claims that we're bringing uh, against Shell on behalf of Nigerian communities. Um, the Agale community, um, which was found, amongst other things, to have seriously, seriously contaminated, dangerously contaminated drinking water um, when the UN tested in that community in 2010 and 2011. Um, and then additionally, the Bile community, which is a, a fishing community in the a riverine community made up of lots of little islands, um, which is so polluted, if you stand on the islands there, as the tide rises, the oil comes through the ground, it seeps through the ground, um, and it was a fishing community, and now people are, are unable to fish there um, at all. Um, in both of those cases, Shell has challenged the jurisdiction, so they've challenged us bringing these cases in the UK against Shell there. They say these cases should be brought in Nigeria, they've got nothing to do with the UK. Um, and so far they've been successful in that argument. Um, so we are seeking permission to appeal to the Supreme Court um, to oppose that argument at the moment. Uh, but, but that's ongoing, so it's not, it's not easy litigation um, at all. Um, yeah, I mean, through, through my work, I've been working on Shell for uh, my whole time at Lee Day, really, for about six years. Um, I've visited lots of communities in the Niger Delta, not just these three um, I've represented. Um, there are so many communities so seriously affected by oil pollution, you kind of become numb to the issue in some ways because it's been going on so long and it's such a repetitive story in many ways. Um, but it has such a serious impact on, on so many people's lives um, and health. Um, and I think we shouldn't lose, lose sight of that um, just because it's something that's been going on for, for so many years. Um, disappointingly, we don't have a representative from Shell here. I know um, you invited one, um, but um, hopefully Laz and me can, can answer some questions you have and, and we can have an interesting, interesting discussion. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. My name is Lazarus Tamana. I'm from Oguni, myself. I have been the coordinator of the movement for the survival of the Ogoni people since 1997. Before then, I was the president of the movement for the survival of the Ogoni people in the United Kingdom. Um, in 1990, the Ogoni people, because of all this pollution, decided to form a body to fight the oil companies and the government because they were doing nothing. So we formed a movement called Movement for the Survival of the Ogoni People. I'm sure most of you might have heard of Ken Sarowiwa. He was the first president of the movement. And um, in 1995, with conspiracy from the government of Nigeria and the royal Shell, he was hanged with eight other Ogoni activists. Since then, we have been campaigning to make sure that we have a clean environment for our people because we are subsistence farmers and fishermen. That is what we do. And when these rivers are polluted, when these farmlands are polluted, we could not farm, we couldn't fish anymore. So. 
the Nigerian government that gave the mining lease to Shell and all these other companies to come and mine oil in Nigeria don't provide jobs for the indigenous people or the Goni people or the people of the Niger Delta because we live on the farm. That is what we do. And because that means of livelihood have been taken away from us, we are now hungry. And the level of pollution in our rivers, the, the water that we drink is polluted, the food we eat is polluted, every single thing that we do in that environment is polluted. If you go to Ogoni, you cannot breathe normally. In the whole of the Niger Delta, we have that, that particular problem. Yet, the oil companies are not addressing this issue. That is where the problem is coming from. If they have operated with due care so that our people can go back to the farm and go back to fishing, they won't go hungry because that is our way of life. But because they are not operating with care, that has affected us so badly. In 2011, United Nations Environmental Program conducted a study and came out with a big book of research outlining the high level of pollution in the Niger Delta. Even in some places, the, um, the water level has been penetrated. Some of it up to a thousand um, um, meters below um, the water level where the water, drinking water has been polluted up to that level. So it is something that is well known. The research has established it. The UN recommended that there should be cleanup immediately and that this cleanup is going to take for that area to be completely clean is going to take 30 years. Shell have not even started the cleanup yet. And if UN has recommended that this is going to take 30 years and they have not started, what do you think is going to happen? People continue to die on a daily basis on hydrocarbon-related diseases. Some of it, we don't even know what is happening to the people. Suddenly, they die. And in 2015, Shell commissioned a, a, um, an um, environmental program, and their, their consultant came out to say that the whole people in the, um, in the Ogoni region should be screened for hydrocarbon-related um, illnesses. But Shell said, no, they're not going to do that. And they didn't do it up to today. So those high level of impunity, those high level of doing things the way they want is what we are against. You cannot go to a community and, and operate anyhow you like. The Nigerian government is powerless. As a government, because they depend on oil, whatever she says is what they do. 
they turn around to Shell and say, what do you want us to do? And he said, Shell, we just do anything they like. They flare gas, they pollute the environment, and all these things, nothing happens. That is the reason why the Ogoni people, the border people, in 2010, 2011, took their case to London and gave it to Lee Day and Co. And they were able to successfully prosecute Shell and extracted compensation from Shell. Now, the compensation has been, Shell reluctantly paid the compensation. They were not even ready to pay it. But because the court in London has compelled them to pay that compensation, they paid it. But the agreement was that after you've paid compensation, there should be cleanup. After cleanup, there must be remediation of the environment. And after remediation, there must be restoration. What we have seen is that they are paid compensation. Coming to clean up, they have been dragging their feet. In fact, on the 22nd of, of this month, which has just passed, we went back to court because Shell wanted to walk away from the agreement. And Lee Day was successful in making sure that that doesn't happen. We were able to win Shell in court last week, which means they must have to go back and do the cleanup because they wanted to walk away from it. Now, you assume that there was not a system as the English court or court outside Nigeria. Nobody can touch Shell. Nobody in Nigeria can touch Shell. If you take Shell to court in Nigeria, your case will be there for 30 years. They keep on adjoining the case, adjoining until either you die or you are weak financially, you cannot go on, and then they just try the case out of court. That's what has been happening to the Goni people, in particular, and people of the Niger Delta. And that is the reason why people are taking their cases outside Nigeria to see, look for respite. If not, if there was accountability in Nigeria, if they were responsible, if we had a responsible government, we would have been fighting this thing in Nigeria, but that is not the case. So we have to take it outside. And people like all of you who are remotely removed from what is happening in the Niger Delta should be involved in this thing because one way or the other, I'm hearing of something called global warming. I'm hearing of something they refer to as ozone layer is cracking or something is happening. That pollution in the Niger Delta has circulated around and is creating some problems in other regions not only in Europe, but in Australia, in America, in other places. These companies cannot be allowed to do whatever they like. They are making tons of money at the expense of, one, the people of the Niger Delta, and again, at your own expense. Because the effect of it, when it comes, 
you can't say, I'm not part of it. It will get to you one way or the other. So they are making that money at our expense. So we should be involved in all these issues and to make sure that they are held accountable. I just have a few more minutes to, to run off certain points on that. Without this campaign that we started 28 years ago, the Niger Delta, wouldn't buy, nobody would have heard of the Niger Delta. Nobody would have heard of the Goni people. We have been able to run a successful campaign in the early 90s up till now. That is why people hear about the case. If not, it won't have happened. And the, the devastating effect on the people of the Niger Delta as a result of this pollution is enormous. It is quite enormous because you imagine somebody who has been very, very able, he can get up in the morning, go to fishing, raise money to take care of his family and other responsibilities, but now he or she cannot do that anymore. We don't have social security in Ogoni as we have in Europe. So it's only what you are able to raise that you will feed on. Your children cannot go to school if you cannot get any money. They are paying school fees there. No one goes to school free. No, it doesn't happen. So if the oil companies are taking away your means of livelihood and they are not employing you, what do you do? So many people, they, they resolve to something dreadful, which has created a lot of problems for them. So it is important that we understand the issue. It is not rhetoric. This is beyond that. This is reality. And this reality is coming down to all of us. So we should be able to please take part, whatever role you can play in this campaign that we are having, to hold these oil companies to account. Not only Shell, there are so many of them. We have taken the bull by the horn to say that we have to campaign to make sure that the world know about what is going on. A lot of communities, when they raise their, their voice, they send in the mobile police to crush the whole place in a, in a place called Umochem. Shortly before the Ogoni campaign took off, they send in the mobile police there, destroy the village. So many people were killed. And since, since that day to today, no one says anything about them. But we, the Ogoni people, have been kneeled against the wall because we don't have anywhere to go. So we have to push back. And we, 28 years down the road, we are still pushing. And none of the demands that we have made has government looked into it. Shell has not looked at any of it and that. So it is important that they clean the environment for us. That's what we are looking for. They should clean the environment so that we can return back to the farms, we can return back to our rivers to go and fish and take care of our future generations. Thank you so much. Thank you. I think 
maybe most of you know, but it was new to me that uh, Shell was in the Niger Delta almost at the immediate start of the oil age in Nigeria. I think it was 1956. 56. Oh, I was going to say earlier than that. Mid 50s, uh, the first oil well was built. And Shell was there. Yes. So Shell has been part and parcel of Nigerian oil development. Yes. For all the history of it. Close to 60 years now. Yeah. And and now you say uh, the Nigerian state have no power over Shell. Uh, you, you really feel that if, if the Nigerian state really wanted to say, Shell, you have to pay 10 billion. The, if, if the president, for some magic reason, said, I don't like Shell, I think the environment is more important, w would they have the power? I, I, do, I, don't, I don't see the Nigerian government <laughs> doing that. No, no. Because the reason why I'm saying this is this. The mainstay of Nigeria is, is oil. I mean, let me be conservative, about 80% of foreign earnings of Nigeria comes from oil. And this is the company that is facilitating that, is making sure that is happening. Without that money, the 36 states of Nigeria that they go to Abuja at the end of the month for handout cannot happen. So the president, <laughs> he would be crazy to even attempt to, 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 to say things like that. There's a very, I mean, there's a very cosy relationship between Shell and the Nigerian government where the Nigerian Minister of Petroleum, I think, always has worked for Shell in some senior capacity for like the past 25 years or something. <laughs> um, so I think I agree with Laz. It's just, it, it, it wouldn't happen realistically. Yeah. If it did, it might make a difference. I mean, ultimately though, Shell is the operator of the pipeline. Yeah. So it has responsibility for operating the pipeline properly. It shouldn't need the Nigerian government to tell it to do it. But I mean, potentially it could make a difference, but I think um, that's a, there, are, there are better options before. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, and uh, going to the UK court is, is one option. Do you think that's the most important strategy going forward? Uh, or are there other avenues also possible? I, well, as of now, there is no other strategy mm. because we have tried to engage Shell. I mean, our plea has fallen on deaf ears. The Nigerian government, uh, that is a giant. No one touches a giant. They are not even ready to talk to anybody. So that's a no-go area. So what alternative do we have? I mean, we are minority within a minority and the population of Ogoni is so tiny, and the Niger Delta is, can be compared with the whole of Nigeria. So the oil companies are not prepared to listen, just um, you know, apply divide and rule tactics and that. And, and the Nigerian government that the Niger Delta was supposed to be the responsibility are running away from their responsibilities. So the best thing we can do is to seek for assistance from outside. 
that is bringing them to international courts. In fact, last year, Amnesty International produced a report which, based on that report, we are assembling evidence which may lead to one form of prosecution or the other of the Nigerian government and share at some stage in the history of our struggle. I mean, I, I'd say, yeah, in, in answer to your question, no, I, I don't think it is the best um, long-term strategy. Um, we're very limited as lawyers in what we can do. So we are trying to get compensation normally for a relatively small number of people. Yeah. Um, I mean, potentially, we hope it leads to pressure on Shell or whoever it may be to operate more responsibly. And for example, in Bode, if they do do a decent job of cleaning up there, we hope that that will set a precedent for other communities. And if, if they can do it there, why can't they do it in all these other communities? So I think as a long-term strategy, no. Um, you're more likely you know, pressure through things like your pension fund. Um, they have much more influence than, <laughs> than we do. Um, through NGOs and just civil society putting pressure on both Shell and the Nigerian government. Um, I think that ultimately is a, is a more realistic long-term strategy than the odd legal case here and there. Okay. And then Fritz, one. Uh, just before I question, or two questions from, from the floor. Uh, what's your opinion after litigating towards Shell and, and talking to their lawyers? I don't know how deep insight into the leadership of Shell you have, but in, in five years, how probable is it that they will have taken this uh, experience with cleaning up, which they barely have started now, and potential pressure from a Norwegian uh, pension fund and others? to start up new cleaning without being mandated to do so by court? Um, I am not optimistic. <laughs> um, they've done everything they can to get the cleanup case out of the courts in London. Um, all we are asking them to do in that case is to clean up and then there will be no case. But they've fought it tooth and nail uh, for a few years now. So if they were gonna clean up, I don't know why it would bother them having that case in London. So. Um, I, I would um, not be hugely optimistic, I think, uh, based on what I've seen. So we have a couple of questions there. Um, then please come up to the mic here. Uh, my name is Rolf Re. I was the uh, Norwegian ambassador to Nigeria from 2012 to 2016. The first meeting I had when arriving in Nigeria was on uh, uh, the cleanup in the Niger Delta. The last function I attended was the uh, official launch of the Ogoni cleanup operation in 2016. Unfortunately, nothing much has happened. And it's, it's not possible to, to really overstate or, 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 or try to communicate the extent of environmental and uh, people damages in the Niger Delta. Just think, uh, according to the data from the oil companies themselves, something between one or two super tankers of oil has been spilled every year for decades. Uh, and um, in, uh, in, uh, 
I, I, I will, before, before I come to the question, which might take some time, uh, I would <laughs> like to praise uh, Mosop and the Ogoni people for, for choosing the very long and difficult task of uh, raising awareness in Nigeria and internationally and in the, uh, in, in uh, uh, Cross River State about the, uh, the plight of the Ogona people and of so many other peoples in, in, in the Niger Delta. Uh, it's, it's very impressive that you have not gone down the, uh, the, the, the violent path, that you've been able to, 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 to hold your youth back from, from resorting to, to, to crime. But I still do think that when you are, I, I fully understand why you are working uh, the international communities and, and pressuring Shell. You should continue to do that. But it is also important to acknowledge and be very vocal about the responsibility of the Nigerian federal government and of the uh, uh, the uh, the Cross River State and other states in uh, in in the Niger Delta, because the severity and the long term nature of the oil spills and how uh, uh, the oil income have corrupted and criminalized uh, Nigerian politics, especially I would say at 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 at, at stake level at state level. Uh, one, one is not very optimistic about uh, litigation and uh, the use of courts in London or, or wherever in the West. So my question to you is really, what can you do and how can you work in Nigeria and vis-a-vis uh, -vis the international community to put more pressure on the Nigerian government, to put more pressure on 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 the uh, the 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 government of, of of river state and the bureaucrats and the politicians in the river state and the various local uh, uh, leaders that are complicit to the fact that this continues and continues and continues thank you can i can i come on okay yeah um <coughs> The point you have raised is a very, very valid point, and it is a point that we have been considering for a very, very long time. Nigeria went back to democratic rule from 1999 till now. If you go to Guni, you will not see any visible development between that 1999 and now, which means the politicians, the money they have raised and all those sort of things and that, they have not used that to do anything whatsoever. They are adamant about all these issues we raised, human rights violations, environmental issues, and all these other developmental issues. They are not particularly concerned about it. Now, what do we do as campaigners, as civil rights um, organi organizers and so It is extremely very, very difficult. We have even lost so many of our activists to politics. 
either government have taken them over or shell have taken them over and bribed them to be part of them and all those things. That means the number is reducing every day and nothing is happening to the local population in that. It is a dilemma that we are facing on a daily basis. And even us have no solution. The only thing that we continue to do is continue to push them from the international angle and hope that something will happen differently. On the Nigerian scene, there have been no changes whatsoever. They just don't want to know. Successive governments, politicians who are in control of the resources don't want to know. No development whatsoever. They are not concerned about development. They are concerned about themselves and what they can do for their families. So it is a very, very difficult situation. I mean, 28 years we have been at this and nothing has, has happened significantly. I mean, when I go back, which I go on a regular basis, I shed tears because when you see simple things that people will have been able to do to address the issues we are talking about and improve our lives. And because we don't have a responsible government, these things are not happening. Yeah, just to, um, to put some meat on the bone as well, the, the impacts and the health impacts, and I, I agree with the, um, the ambassador, you cannot overstate this issue. The UN found that um, most members of the current Ogoniland community have lived with chronic oil pollution throughout their lives. Um, there have been very few studies done on the health effects, um, and, and Shell have not done any studies or none was published. Um, there was a study done by the University of St. Gallen, Swiss University in September 2017 on neonatal births and the impact of oil pollution in the Niger Delta on that. Um, they found that um, those living near to an oil spill, which I think is within five miles prior to conception, more than doubles the neonatal mortality rate. And given the number of oil spills in the Niger Delta, um, the authors concluded that oil spills were responsible for the deaths of 16,000 infants within the first month of their life in Nigeria in 2012, in one year. So you, you cannot overstate what a serious issue this is, what a, you know, what, a, what a sort of catastrophe it is for the people of the Niger Delta. To answer um, your question, um, Your Excellency, is that the right address now? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm going to push back a bit. I, I agree it is very complicated um, and that the government and the local government, the government of River State, has in, in many ways failed the people of the Niger Delta. But Shell um, is a hugely wealthy multinational. It operates the pipelines. The oil spills from its pipelines, it is legally responsible for cleaning up that oil. It has the capacity to do so. It has the wealth to do so. It has the ability to do so and it has consistently failed to do so. And I think that's because it, 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 it could do so if it wanted to, but it has not. So I agree that lots of the societal issues, um, uh, responsibility would, you know, you can point fingers at, at many different actors. Um, in relation to cleaning up their oil, which they are responsible for doing, um, I point the finger at Shell. Thank you. We have two more questions now. 
and we have 10 minutes left approximately, so please keep the matter short inside of five minutes. <laughs> Can I start? No, you, you go ahead. Uh, thank you both. Um, my name is Camilla. I used to work for the Norwegian Council of Africa, and I visited Niger Delta first time 2005. And uh, I've told a lot of people that I've never, ever been so angry in my life and so surprised about the enormous crisis that you just described and, and continuously surprised about how difficult it is to do anything about this. So my question, I have several questions, but my kind of simple question to you as, uh, as a litigator is, is the question of knowledge and hard facts. You mentioned this on health. My impression is that there's tons and tons of books on the Niger Delta referring to how bad this is, and you can you can see it when you're with your eyes. But at the same time, it seems to be a lack of what is considered hard facts when it comes to the um, the consequences of the spillages. So I wonder how that works when you litigate and when you go to court and how that's being used by Shell and maybe the state. And even if there's any explanation to why, I would assume that any natural scientist who's interested in, in any kind of spillages should run down to the Niger Delta and test the waters and just flood the world. So I'm, I'm, this is something that just doesn't make sense to me. So um, the other question is kind of to both of you. You mentioned, Lazarus, the, the question of divide and rule uh, in the Niger Delta. I, thi I think I read somewhere that there's 1,500 host communities, meaning communities who have uh, oil production yes. in their, their backyards, more or less, and 30 different minority groups, and you represent Ogonis. Yes. So my question is, to what extent do the Ogonis work with and engage other minority groups in these questions? If you do, how? If you don't, why not? And also to... Matthew. Matthew, why do you go one community, one community, one community instead of the whole shalabang? What, is there any formal reasons for that? Um, yeah. And uh, if there's any way of looking into democracy that even though since 1999 it's not necessarily the full-on and the maturest of democracies, and the Niger Delta may be difficult within the Nigerian context, but do you see any opening and improvement for, for democratic processes in the Niger Delta? Just pushing the golf question a little <laughs> again. All right. Thank you. Will I start? <laughs> the issue of divide and rule, which Shell has been adopting and continue to adopt, we are in touch with other Niger Delta communities. We work with most of them because we have a common problem. Although the Ogoni people are at the forefront of it, we took the brunt of the entire thing. I mean, in 1993, we had a military occupation in Ogoni where they were killing our people. We lost over 3,000 people from internal security task force, Nigerian military and the police. 
who occupied Uguni and were killing us. But in spite of that, we are in touch with other Niger Delta communities. Um, we have been talking on how to move forward. But as I said, Shell will just go to a community and give them money and say, forget about these people, these are troublemakers. They don't want to do X, Y, Z, and all those sort of things and that. And that seems to have worked over the years for them. You know, but again, people are now beginning to understand since Shell has been in the region, they cannot point at anything meaningful that Shell has done in the Niger Delta, meaningful. So they are beginning to understand that, look, the best way forward is unity, and we are trying to do that as much as we can. Other issues like democracy, uh, Nigerian democracy, which is at infancy, you know, 1999 to now, <laughs> but they have not been able to do anything as such. The, the inherent difficulties we have is the corruption, the lack of development, the money when it comes, they share it without considering the communities that they need to invest and in that. If they have invested some of this money, maybe some of these things will stop. But the issue of shell is a major issue on the entire Nigeria, you know, which is, is just not helping anybody whatsoever. Any um, person who is somebody in Nigeria must be connected to the oil companies one way or the other. Either they work for NMPC or they work for Shell or they work for Mobile or EN, EMI or that. They must be related to those kind of industries and that. And that is creating a lot of problems because they, they see themselves as elites who will have to continue to rule that place and then keep the rest of the people as substandard people. And that is what we are facing every day. So to answer the question, firstly about evidence and lack of evidence, and, and I guess Shell's control in some ways over the, the information and the data. Um, it's definitely a problem. What, one of the advantages of um, legal action is you can, you can get documents which you wouldn't otherwise be able to get, which wouldn't otherwise be in the public domain. Um, so for example, um, we, we received um, as part of a legal action um, a document from Shell in 2002 saying the remaining life of most of the SBDC pipelines was more or less non-existent or short, while some sections contain major risk and hazard. Outright replacement is necessary. Um, they haven't been replaced to this day. So, uh, you know, documents like that come out. Another, another email from 2008 between senior Shell people saying, Shell is corporately exposed as the pipelines in Agoniland have not been maintained properly or integrity assessed for over 15 years. So things like that um, emerge through litigation. But it is, it is a major problem. And I'm, I'm as surprised as you that there have not been more health studies. I don't know the reason for that. Um, credible health studies, for example, in, um, in, in about the effects of oil in the Niger Delta. Um, we've been to communities, I'm sure you've had this as well, Laz, where people have told us 
Um, we're having lots of stillbirths. We're having, you know, all, all these issues. And, and as lawyers, we kind of, you know, think, I believe you. I think you're telling the truth, but we can't help you because, of, you know, we can't prove that the oil spills are responsible for that. And there just isn't the evidence and the data to back that up. Maybe this recent study is kind of movement in, the, in a positive direction in that sense, that people are looking into this um, properly. Um, but it's, it's certainly a problem. In terms of which communities we choose, um, I mean, there are a lot of communities in Nigeria we would like to represent. Um, the Bodo community before then, these two recent communities. And because Shell started this jurisdiction challenge in about 2014 or 15, until that is resolved, it's very difficult for us to try to represent anyone else. Because if, if the communities lose that, um, then we wouldn't be able to do any cases in England. So that would be that. Um, but it's kind of, I mean, for example, the Adale community, the UN report picked up on, on the Adale community as being uh, particularly severely impacted. Um, the Bile community, again, people um, from the firm went there and saw how devastating the pollution was and, and sort of thought, you know, we have to try and represent this community if we can. So it's pretty, um, I mean, I wouldn't say arbitrary, but there's no, uh, you know. I think it would be difficult in the UK. N I don't know if it would be possible in the, the Netherlands. I expect not. Um, but in the, I mean, we represent the individual members of the community, all the individual communities. Um, so it wouldn't be possible for us. I mean, one thing, just to go back to the health studies, the UN report, when that came out, sorry, I'll be back quick, um, said, said it's really important you look into the impact of um, oil spills on health effects. Um, and that hasn't happened. And the same, we are constantly writing to Shell saying, why are you not testing people's health in Bodo? Um, you know, why is nothing being done about this? And, and I think this is a point where, where the, the government and the uh, state shares responsibility for this, because I, I, you know, it's maybe hard to argue this is Shell's responsibility to do this sort of testing, um, but, but it's just not done. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's very unfortunate. Thank you very much uh, for coming and uh, sharing with us your work and your experiences and knowledge about this. It is thoroughly uh, grave injustice. And I hope that this year starts with these court cases, that there will be some cleanup, and at least that uh, possibly this could be the spark of a bigger international campaign to spread the word about what has happened and the cleanup and possibly the lasting cleanup. Uh, and um, that we will be in a somewhat better place in five years. So thank you very much. Thank you to everybody who came. Uh, I know someone are bursting with some uh, ideas or questions or something. So I hope there's some time to talk also informally after. Of course, yeah. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you.